August, Kyle. Happy August, Melissa. Hey, we said our names. We did say our name. That's Melissa. I'm Kyle. You should know that by now if you've been listening to this podcast, but in case you didn't, now you do. (laughs) We didn't remember last month. We didn't. We forgot. It's okay. So welcome to Let's Talk Club Management. It's August, which means for most people, it's back to school, right? So, you know, schools are getting back in session and it's the start of something new, right? You've bought your new planner, you... (laughs) Went school supply shopping. Got all your new pencils and pens and notebooks. Exactly. And there's something nice about a new year. There's something fresh about a new year, right? Which, you know, you don't really have as an adult, right? But you do as a kid or if you're, you know, a parent. You don't really get summer break when you're an adult. You don't. You don't. But, you know, it is when for CMA, there is a little bit of a summer lull because so many of our members are busy during the summer. So there's a little bit of summer lull before our conference season startup our business management institute start back up and it's all an illusion leadership conference yeah it's an illusion though because that lull is just when we buckle down and do all of our planning exactly it's when we do all of our planning and on all of ours but so it's not really a lull but it's quite a time to think (laughs) absolutely so it's also the time that you start to think about something new so and thinking about when you should start that something new in your club management career, when you should take that next step. And this is a great topic that came to us from one of our listeners. So very big special shout out to our listener who shared with us. He reached out to me this summer with these questions as a mid-management professional. How do you move up the ladder? When is the right time to start looking for your next position? How do you know it's time to move on from your current position? And how do you do that where you involve your GM or your current management? It's for sure a tricky thing to navigate. Um, You know, that knowing, knowing the right time to transition and knowing how, like you said, how to incorporate your management into that conversation. Maybe you don't have a great relationship or maybe you do. And how do you handle that? And one thing that I think came up in some of our conversations with um, our interviews this month is also understanding that club management is a small industry, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, it, 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 this came up in a, in a couple of our interviews, but it's really a niche industry, but it's a small community. Yep. And so, you know, um, it's, it's something that you have to remember in terms of, you know, when you're leaving one position or looking for another position to make sure that you're doing that, um, to keep, use your discretion to build build bridges and keep good relationships um, because it is a small community, um, and a niche. And so, you know, the other thing too, is to, to really embrace that fear of, of, of taking that step, you know, Mm -hmm. it's chaotic. It's taking a, a big risk you know, and making sure that you're, you're selecting the right club and you're selecting the the right culture and, um, and what that entails for you personally. I think it's interesting that, you know, this is something that we talk about with the students a lot. Um, when we talk to them about entering their career in club management, making sure you consider, you know, what type of club you're looking at, where the club is located, what kind of club culture they have. And those are all easy things to say to someone who's brand new and, and looking for their first job. But I think 
it's also really important to remember those points when you're in the middle of your career and maybe you've been somewhere for six or seven or eight years and you think, okay, it's time for me to move on. I want to grow. I want a new opportunity. It's important to consider those same questions in the middle of your career as it was at the beginning of your career. Cause you know, you could make a complete sea change and go from a city club to a beach club, for example, <laughs> and the club culture can be completely different. And no matter how open-minded you are, that change can be challenging. Absolutely. So we reached out to a couple experienced members in the industry for their best career advice on how to navigate these changes in the middle of your career. And then on the flip side, how to, as a, as a GM or a leader in a club space, how to perhaps mold your employees to know when they're, to help them to know when they're ready to move on and then support them in that transition. Absolutely. And we also did a fun idea fair interview this month on membership development, which kind of harkens back to our episode last month. Um, but this one talks about how you can kick off a great relationship with new members through the orientation process. And we sat down with the team from Bellmead Country Club, and they explained to us exactly how their new member orientation club tour works. So stay tuned for that little piece of information. Today's feature interview is James Rysick, CCM. He is currently the general manager and COO of the Tokenique Club in Darien, Connecticut. He also serves the chairperson for the CMA Young Professionals Steering Committee. Prior to joining the club, he most recently served as the director of dining for the Union Club of the City of New York. Previously, he served in the capacity of director of operations and general manager with the Patina Restaurant Group and as the Food and Beverage Director for the Williams Club of New York. He holds a degree in Hospitality and Food Service Management from Johnson & Wales University. Right. I hope um, that makes the cut. I'm going to leave it in. I'm going to leave it in. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it, and we can't wait to get your perspective on everything. So tell us a little bit about your history in the industry. Sure. So I started out, I went to Johnson & Wales for hospitality management, and I was lucky enough to work at the Williams Club in the city as my first real job out of school. I was there for about nine months as the food and beverage director, and unfortunately the college decided to close the club. So soon after starting my career in private clubs, I found myself looking for a new job. Um, so unfortunately there was no clubs available or positions available at that time in clubs, so I found myself working for a restaurant company in the Patino Restaurant Group. Um, I did that for about two and a half years. And then after that, I found that my calling really was in clubs. I wanted to get back in the private club industry in the worst way. So I was able to find a position with the Union Club in Manhattan uh, as their director of dining services. And I had been there for the past seven years until my, previous, until my current position here at the Token E Club as the general manager. When you say the city, you mean Manhattan, or New York City, correct? Yes. All right. Just for the people who aren't in the know. Yeah. <laughs> so, so go ahead, Melissa. I was just going to. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you. it seems like you climbed the ladder in a very strategic and what looks like probably a pretty straightforward kind of way, um, moving up in your roles. And you're now GM. So 
I guess the question that we really want to get at in this conversation is, you know, how did you know that it was the right time to take that next step to move on from your role at the union club and into this new opportunity that came with, I'm sure, a lot more responsibilities and, you know, a completely different approach to the workplace? Sure. So I, I don't think there's any one key indicator for anyone. I think it's kind of a sense of, of belonging where you feel you are in your career and mm-hmm. kind of what you what your aspirations are and how you want to grow. I think for me, having been at the Union Club for about seven years, like I said, um, I started there kind of not really knowing the club so well. I took a chance because I wanted to get back into private clubs and I was able to kind of immerse myself in the culture of the club and what my role really was there. And that was to elevate the dining experience to help train some of the staff that had been there and to kind of provide, you know, the the best experience for the members possible. And in six and a half years, I felt that at that point I had really done that. I had achieved and accomplished what I wanted to achieve. And I had had a mentor in the industry who was a manager of none of the other clubs who basically told me his goal is to be able to come into work and do nothing. And not from a perspective <laughs> of <clears throat> being lazy and just not wanting to work, it's that he wanted to build the team strong enough that it didn't matter whether he was there or not, that the team was going to function at a high level with or without him because he had imparted his knowledge and wisdom and training into those individuals and allowed them to grow into roles and be able to fulfill their requirements and then some exceed expectations by doing so. So for me, that kind of resonated a little bit that, you know, I had a longstanding staff that had been there and been tenured. I was able to train them and, and to work with them, and they were all very much professionals. I got to the point where coming into work was no longer a challenge for me. I didn't face every day where, you know, what was going to be in today and how was I going to be able to grow personally and professionally and help my staff grow. It almost became a little bit repetitive for me. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I knew that, you know, I had really faced the challenge that I had been put there to do. I've trained the staff, and they were at a point where they really didn't need me anymore. They were acting on their own and making great decisions and doing a fantastic job that I felt like my kind of tenure had run its course there, and I wanted a new challenge and, and to be challenged doing something different, whether it was inside the club or outside. Unfortunately, there was no room for growth in the club, so that's what kind of led me to look outside of the club. Sure, and I guess, so building on that, and I'm going to skip around in our questions here because I think this sure. follow-up fits well. Um, th- so you felt like you were ready to move on, and there was no opportunity for growth within your in your space, in your club. Um, so you obviously were looking outside of that. You know, that's that can be a tricky position for a lot of people to be in, I'm sure, to to recognize within yourself, like, okay, I'm ready, to, I'm ready for more growth. I want more challenges. But how do I go about doing that in a way that doesn't burn any bridges if you have a positive relationship with, with the folks that you work with and for? Um, you know, how did you sort of navigate that situation with your management at your club. Right. So I definitely agree with what you're saying, Kyle. I think that's probably the the most difficult part to deal with when you are looking for new employment, Mm -hmm. especially when you've been somewhere for so long and you've built good relationships with everyone, both inside your club and maybe in the industry and that locale that you're located in. For me, it was it was very nerve-wracking um, because I felt like as soon as I put it out there that I was looking to go somewhere else, it would have gotten back to my general manager, right. um, and it would have gotten kind of out in the industry. Being in New York, while it's a large city, the club management community is very small and very um, very intertwined, for mm-hmm. lack of better terms. So once news breaks, it kind of gossip is everywhere, and <laughs> it, while it fades a few days later, for that time, it's out there. It's it's out there. It's not just, you know, contained into one or two people. It's everyone knows your business at that point. 
Um, so for me, it was having an open and honest relationship with my, my executive management, uh, mm-hmm. particularly my general manager. I kind of had conversations with him early on in my tenure there, probably in the second or third year of what my aspirations were in the industry. He knew from the beginning that I didn't want to just be in food and beverage, that eventually I wanted to become a general manager and a COO. And he invested in me and allowing me to get my CCM and stuff. So all through the way, I kind of kept him apprised. Mm -hmm. While I may not have told him specifically about opportunities that I was either interested in or interviewing with, I did speak to him about, you know, what areas I needed to work on and what areas he thought I would be successful in, what types of clubs, what environments. So all through the process, as I kept growing within the organization, I kept him apprised of, hey, this is where my head's at. This is what I'm thinking of. And then I would say probably year six in my annual review, I kind of brought it up and said, you know, I think I'm getting to the point where I'm close to taking that next step. Do you have any advice for me or what what do you think I should do and where do you think I still need to learn and growth and those things? And so when it came time to actually talk to him about leaving, he was more than supportive, but he also knew it, it wasn't a surprise to him at that point. He right. basically said, look, I want the best for you. While I don't want you to leave selfishly, <laughs> I, I understand and I want you to grow. So I think having that open and honest communication is great. Obviously, not everybody's going to have that opportunity, depending on what your relationship is with your general manager. I think confidentiality and trust is something that's obviously of utmost importance. So whoever you are speaking with, whether it's another club's general manager or whether it's uh, with a headhunter or recruiter, I think you need to just make sure that that privacy and confidentiality and trust is there before you put yourself out there in an an unwarranted situation. Absolutely. I think you bring up two really good points, one being that in your situation, you sort of laid the groundwork for your transition out from the very beginning. Um, you know, you talked a lot about that idea of having open and honest communication like throughout your tenure at the club. I think that's right. really important because for many people, you know, you, you may not see yourself in a position forever. And most of us don't, especially at our positions in our, you know, in our age, in our careers, you don't want to be in the same place for the rest of your life. Right. Some people get really lucky and they end up somewhere they love and they want to stay. But um, right. knowing that when you go in, it's important, like you said, to sort of lay that groundwork and be honest about your wants and expectations in your experience in that position and, and how you do want to grow. And I think that you explain a really great way of how to do that. You know, you got buy-in and support from your GM to pursue your CCM and continue right. your education with the association. So I think that was great. The other point that you made that I really liked was that you asked for feedback on how you can continue to improve. Um, and then also that piece of discretion where you talk about confidentiality and honesty with the people that you're talking to, maybe outside of your current position. Once you do start looking, I think that's super important too. Right. I mean, it was very helpful for me also. I think one other thing that I can add to it is we all talk about building your network and having people that you can trust, whether it's mentors or other people in the industry. So I was able to kind of reach out to some other people in the New York City chapter that mm-hmm. I was good friends with, as well as even outside and say, hey, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Am I missing something? Is there something that, you know, I should be doing or not doing or who should I be talking to or what kind of opportunity? I was able to gain a lot of confidence from those individuals saying, hey, this is something normal. You know, it shouldn't be a stigma where you're worried about moving up because of what, you know, your current GM may think or your current club. 
everybody ultimately expects people to move on and to grow. It's just making sure that you're taking the right opportunities and not just jumping to jump kind of thing. And by having those confidants, it really helped, you know, gain confidence for me, but also that I was making the right decision, that I was vetting it and I was handling it properly. And they gave me some really sage advice as to how to deal with my general manager and letting him know and making sure that, you know, it was a good exit strategy for me and that the club was in a good place and there was no hard feelings and not burning bridges and those kind of things. Yeah, that actually leads right into our next question about, you know, the, this process of leaving the club. Once you, you know, talk to your GM over time and, and then you figured out where you wanted to go next and you got this new job offer, you know, how did you then approach that process of leaving your club and how did you do it in a way that was graceful or maybe not graceful? I don't know. Was it graceful? It, it was graceful. At least I like to think it was graceful. <laughs> um, you'd have to certainly ask my former GM and my membership, but we'll be so I, I kind of, I kind of did it in two different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at it first of I needed and, and had a desire to make sure that I left the club in a better manner than which I found it. Um, not that I found it in a bad position, but I wanted to make sure that my impact there and that my work for the past seven years um, kind of lived on, that somebody else could take that torch and, and run with it. So in doing so, I made sure that I gave ample notice. I wanted to let my general manager know as well as my staff know what I was doing and being transparent and leaving and offering any assistance that I could to help with the transition from finding my predecessor, sorry, my successor to um, helping train them and get them familiar with the role. And even after leaving, I kind of allowed myself to be accessible and said, hey, you know, I still have email. You can contact me. You can call me, email me, whatever it needs to be done that I will help you as much as I possibly can to make sure that that next person is successful in their role. Um, furthermore, you know, I looked at it from the membership side, too. In seven years, you build a lot of great uh, relationships with the members. Sure. And I wanted to make sure that I kind of controlled the narrative a little bit with them as well and saying that I'm not leaving because of anything that the club did or didn't do. I'm leaving for my own growth. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the time that I had here and the, the, the ability to be supported into getting my CCM and to developing into a manager that is capable of taking that next step because of the opportunities that you provided. So I took the time to write personalized handwritten letters to my board members and my house committee, as well as some of the other committees that I was involved in, such as the food and beverage committee and stuff, and letting them know how um, appreciative I was of the entire experience and the opportunity to work for them, and how I wished, you know, nothing but success for the club moving forward, and that if they should need anything, they can always, you know, contact me at any time. So I got an overwhelming response from the membership, um, personalized handwritten letters and emails and calls back. Um, and still to this day, I still hear from a lot of members um, about the club and how much, you know, they miss having me there, but they're doing well. And it, it really, I think, helped make the transition very smooth in that manner. That's really good to hear. I mean, it sounds like you had a really good relationship with um, your management and your members. So that, I think, probably helped make your transition uh, a little bit easier which is always a good thing. Um, (laughs) And then moving on to your new position, um, you know, how did, I'm sure there was a lot of uncertainty in taking on the mantle of a GM role um, and at a completely new club and in in a new state. Um, What was that like? How did you sort of handle that uncertainty? So do you want the honest answer or do you want the politically correct one? So I, I think anybody that says that there's not a little bit of fear, uncertainty, um, worry as to what the future holds is not being honest with themselves or others. Absolutely. Um, while I was confident that my skill set and I was ready for that next position, um, I was certainly fearful of what, you know, what the unknown is. When you mm-hmm. get into a job and you've been there for, especially for a long tenure, you know, five, six, seven years, you get comfortable in the position. You kind of know what to expect and what to feel. 
I made a radical change. I left from a city club that was an all-male membership that was predominantly an older membership in age, um, and then left and went to a beach club, which is a family-oriented club, um, very much low-key, more socially um, adept as far as you know having a, it has a different theme to it altogether, for lack of better terms. Um, and it was it was a culture shock for me, <laughs> very much so. I tried to prepare myself as much as possible, but going from wearing a three piece suit to work, you know, shorts. six days a week, to wearing shorts and a polo shirt, um, and literally working fifteen feet from the beach is is completely different. Um, and it, it it is something that should be you know taken into account when you're making a change and finding that club. And we talk a lot about you know making sure your your management style matches with the culture of the club and and when the location of the club plays into that and the style of membership and those things and for me it was a big change um but i felt that it was a change that i was comfortable with making and i was ready to make um but i i spent a lot of time kind of just listening and observing especially the first few months because it was such a different culture and a, a shock to me and to my system of what i had been used to in the city clubs to now what i'm dealing with here is uh, at beach club I can imagine. I imagine also that coming, stepping into a, a role like that at a club that is so on the other end of the spectrum from, you know, what you had previously, where you had previously been, um, I'm sure that, you know, like you said, taking a lot of time to listen, but also then having an open mind is probably pretty important to, to absorb a lot of those, like you said, club culture differences um, to, to learn and understand what those are and the things that the members value the things that the, the staff values, um, you know, you come from a different way of thinking and sometimes you can apply that way of thinking to a new situation and sometimes you can't. And it's important to be open-minded about what that might look like. Very much so. So I think for my background working in New York City, which is predominantly unionized labor, mm -hmm. um, coming to a club that's very seasonal, hard challenges and, you know, dealing with a unionized contract and the stipulations that occur with that, but it's actually finding labor. I mean, we're really only open five and a half to six months a year um, and finding labor and being able to, to operate in high volume very quickly and then kind of shut down quickly is difficult. Things like that where I, I didn't expect the difficulties that are associated with that. I said, you know, if I can handle working in a union environment, I'll be fine outside of a union environment. But there's different challenges with every position. Um, I think the biggest thing that I kind of did was just to, you know, have a positive attitude and a willingness to learn, mm -hmm. but certainly take the time to observe and immerse yourself in the culture before making any drastic changes. So while I tried to make small little improvements along the way this season being my first, I tried to step back and kind of see how the club operates, see what, you know, the culture is of the club, what the members' expectations are, what your fellow managers and your team's expectations are and what they need before making any rash decisions or judgments where, you know, there seems to be low-hanging fruit, but you don't know what's around that right. by making such a decision, how that impacts and has ripple effects throughout the organization. For sure. I think that's great advice. Take the time to really get your bearings yeah. and, and understand, like you said, how what – looks like a small change on the surface could have greater impact down the line because of how things are all interconnected. Absolutely. Definitely. Melissa, do you have any other questions for Jim? Jim, I would just ask, um, is there anything that you wish you'd kind of known starting the process to where you are now? What advice would you give to other folks thinking about making that leap? So I think the biggest thing is to believe in yourself and your skills. I think you have to... Well, obviously, you want to make sure that you make the right decision, 
don't scare yourself into making a decision or not making a decision. Have confidence in your skills and yourself. Listen to your head and your heart at the same time. Um, I think you'll feel and kind of know when's right and when's not. I feel like a lot of times society puts the stigma on where you have to work for two years or you're considered a job hopper. But if you stay for too long, then you know you're you're overstaying your tenure. You should have had more experience. I think every person has their own ability to kind of decide when you want to leave. And if it's the right time, it's the right time for you. And don't worry about the outside noise. Just have confidence in yourself to, to make that decision, kind of feel it out as you go. That's great advice. I'm taking that to heart. <laughs> <laughs> but neither of you can leave CMA, so don't ignore that advice. If either of you are thinking about it, you're not ready. You're not ready. Jim says it's terrible <laughs> advice. Don't listen to it. <laughs> Um, I don't have any other questions, but I think that was fantastic, Jim. Thank you so much. We are so excited to have Damon DiOrio, CCM, CCE, the Chief Executive Officer of the Desert Mountain Club in Scottsdale, Arizona, with us today. Starting as a young man in his family-owned Rhode Island restaurant, Damon has dedicated his entire career to hospitality. Along the way, he participated in the Ritz-Carlton Training Program, worked for Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida, and has been a frequent speaker to numerous Fortune 500 companies on the winning ways of customer service leadership. 26 years of his professional career were spent at Charlotte Country Club, a 109-year-old member-owned club regarded for excellence as a top 10 private club in North America. He served as the club's CEO from 2003 to 2017. Since 2017, Damon has served as the CEO of Desert Mountain Club in Scottsdale, Arizona. It is one of the largest and most prestigious private clubs in the world, with seven golf courses and clubhouses, numerous racket courts, a full-service spa and fitness center, 3,000 acres of hiking, horseback riding, overnight camping, and other amenities. It is widely considered a top 20 private club in North America. Damon has been recognized with almost every honor accorded the very best in the profession to include membership in the National Honor Society of CMA, Club Manager of the Year for North and South Carolina, and the National Club Executive of the Year. He was selected by his professional peers to serve as national president in 2014, representing an industry of more than 6,000 club executives in all 50 states and many countries of the world. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, you were the perfect person uh, that came up in mind when we were talking about this topic and, and talking about um, folks in our industry who've mentored other folks in the industry and, and helped others uh, reach their potential. And the idea that had come in from one of our other listeners was just the, the struggle that middle managers face. So I'm hoping you can provide some great right. perspective to that. So, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> absolutely. We shared your official bio, but can you tell us a little bit about your history in the industry? Sure, and, and thank you, Melissa and Kyle, and uh, honored to do this for you. Um, so a little bit of my background. I've always loved the hospitality industry, and my family owned a restaurant when I was growing up as a boy. So from age 12, I found myself in the kitchen of a restaurant and immediately loved the different interactions with people. And I worked there for a long time while I was in middle school and high school, and then transitioned into a country club where I worked the pool snack bar at Alpine Country Club in Rhode Island in the summer. And I loved it. I loved making families feel special and being around multiple generations as they enjoyed life together. And when I went off to college, 
I uh, had to help pay for my school and college education. So knowing how much I enjoyed my experience at Alpine Country Club in Rhode Island, I picked up the newspaper and got an ad at Charlotte Country Club to wait tables. Uh, Lo and behold, I would have never thought, looking back, I was there 29 years of my career, and I loved every second of it, and it was so rewarding and meaningful. And I was promoted nine times and was the CEO of Charlotte Country Club from 2003 to 2017. And in 2017, I recognized that the club was in good stead. We had a long waiting list to get in. I had a terrific team. And I really wanted a new challenge, and I'm honored to be at Desert Mountain. And I have been the CEO here since April of 2017 to today. Awesome. So I know in the in the time you were at Charlotte Country Club, you had a lot of folks um, we know in the industry come through as interns and come through those positions, and you did some very unique things there. You know, as a general manager, how do you make space for your team to feel like they can move on and take the next challenge in their career? That's a great question. And Melissa, it's one of the things I'm most passionate about with guiding the next generation of club executives. As a son of two school teachers, I find myself that the greatest leaders are perpetual learners and perpetual teachers. And I think mentor is a word that's um, often misguided and misused. You know, if you look at it in a true dictionary form, it's advice or training for a younger colleague. I would tell you that we're woefully underachieving if that's our goal. I mean, I want to I want to look at every day and with the folks that I work with, I want to inspire someone to have a fulfilling life, not to teach them the things that I learned in the business. You know, I want to help them achieve, you know, what what they felt was absolutely inconceivable and that they couldn't reach. That's the goal of a mentor, you know, to help someone evolve from a set of tasks to significance in life. And that's what we all need to do in the club business. And that's where I love bringing on students and internships and younger managers um, to learn from them and to great, get great ideas, but also uh, to inspire them to achieve goals they didn't think possible. I love that concept of perpetual teachers and perpetual learners. That's you know, it's something that I agree we need to embrace um, across all industries and certainly in the association space as well. So if you had an a individual come to you and ask for the advice, you know, how do I how do I approach my manager when I'm ready to make, to take that next step, to look for other opportunities um, at other facilities? Well, a couple of things I want to share. I remember as a young man in this business, it was a different era and you just didn't approach the general manager or leadership. You, you know, you spoke when spoken to. Um, it was so uncommon for uh, you know, a service staff team member to come into the general manager's office. There were layers of management. It was a different era, a different time. But I always remind people that your success or failure at the club isn't going to be determined by the general manager. Your success or failure is going to be determined by the respect you command from the rest of the staff and your perceived value to the club by the rest of the membership. Mr. Paul Conway, who was my mentor, had no clue who I was at Charlotte Country Club, and that was fine. I was okay with that. 
But what I did was make the best of my opportunity to be the best server I could. And I did it in ways such as asking my manager if I could do some research and come back to, to tomorrow's you know, service staff lineup with a program on coffee beans and how they're rated and roasted. And what I quickly learned was my colleagues who I worked with loved it and were asking me when I was going to do the next program. And my manager was great with it because everyone learned. So you start earning that respect. You start earning that trust. And with the member experience, you know, we did things that, uh, you know, for example, um, we knew about 90% of our kids at Charlotte Country Club of our members' children went to two private schools. So I thought, well, wouldn't it be a great idea to partner with those schools? Let's do, you know, book bag drives and can drives, and let's host some of their classes at our club. And in return, what I wanted was information about our members. So what I would do is get some information about a member's child that just got a scholarship to go play football at a university, and then we'd dig up you know, a picture of their family and, uh, and I'd get the staff to sign it and tell them, you know, and send them a jersey from that university to tell them how special they were to all of us and how proud we were of their scholarship. And those are the things that touched their lives and those are the things that the members noticed. And then all of a sudden, Paul Conway noticed who I was. He was going to learn to know who I was from hearing it from the members. And that's what I would always encourage you know, young aspiring professional, you know, professionals to do. Take advantage of those opportunities when you have them. Make the best of it to earn the respect of your team. Make raving fans of the members' experience. And when the general manager's phone starts to ring and your name comes up often in the members' minds, you're quickly going to find yourself in a position to be able to have access to anything that you want over time. And that's what I did. That then, Melissa you know, leads to, hey, having the credibility to organize community events with your team and going to see other clubs and benchmark. You know, I didn't have a budget for CMAA. I was told, you know, work hard for five years and we'll think about it. So in the interim, I said, well, great, that's okay. Let me take my team and let's go over to some of the other great clubs in Charlotte. Our members talk about it, but our staff doesn't know what they look like. Or, you know, let's do these great community projects. Or we started a program of um, manager exchange, for example, where I'd call some of my peers in Florida and say, hey, can you send one of your colleagues to work with us when you're slow in August? And we'll send somebody down to work with you to learn in, in January or February when you're busy and we're really slow. And so the exposure and the knowledge and just getting the staff excited, there are so many opportunities that cost nothing if you just explore those opportunities. And it all starts with earning the trust and respect of your team and making the member experience special. It opens the door every time. I love that. One of the things that um, Kyle and I talked about um, with Jim Reisig and we and uh, talked about um, as a concept for our students is that we, we teach them a lot about the hiring process and how to make a good first impression. Um, but certainly something that's come up from several of our presenters and in, in, in interviews in this session is that our industry, although it is, is spread across the country, is a small industry and that news travels fast. So 
what kind of advice would you give a manager um, who's leaving his current club on how to leave gracefully? That's a great question. And I always say you only have one shot at your reputation and your legacy. And I would always make sure that whatever you did, you did with open transparency, honesty, integrity, follow through on your commitments, and always take the high road. No matter how bad the situation is, I can't tell you how many resumes I receive annually from others who would say, I'm at a dead-end job in a club that's going nowhere, or and that kind of disparaging of that organization, I have to look at not knowing that individual thinking, well, that's the way they're going to view my organization, no matter how hard we try for this individual. You can't ever do that. I would always look at it and say, um, hold your head up high. Even if it's a terrible situation, look at the positive in that. What can you learn on things that you would never do going forward in your career? Everything's an opportunity and adversity in your career introduces you to yourself. How you handle that difficult situation is going to forge the professional you become. Everyone thrives in a great environment and a perfect situation. But I want to see how the person deals with adversity and what are the silver linings that they bring out of that situation that carry forward in their career. Very well said. So looking back, you said yourself earlier that you, you never expected that you would be in Charlotte for, for 29 years. What is the advice that you would give to yourself today, knowing where your path took you? Um, well, a couple of things. I, you know, I had it wrong as a young man, and it was we were in a different era, and I think that, you know, I'm bullish about the millennial generation, and I'm fascinated with the next generation of club executive and what I can learn from them and what I can share. And I want more of my colleagues to feel that way. I want more of them to understand that uh, there's value in every individual and every generation. And let's accentuate what people do the best. And what I mean by that, Melissa, as a two-time leukemia survivor who did work six and seven days a week, morning, noon, and night, and had a very low quality of life because the expectation was, hey, work hard for 10 years to get to that next level. Um, I'd never do that again because I missed out so much on life. So I appreciate now, and as a 51-year-old manager, have looked back and said, wow, I want to make sure everyone travels the world enjoys life, and I teach and train them to run any aspect and every aspect of the club. And so when I unplug, I am unplugged, and I don't have to call back to the club every day. And my team knows everything that's going on at the club. They can handle any situation from a fire emergency to a hiring or firing decision to anything that occurs uh, because I want them coming back energized, uh, you know, their batteries recharged, refreshed, and ready to be an inspiration for their team. And that's not going to happen, you know, if they're working six and seven days a week and 65 hours a week. Um, we lose out when that happens. So that would be the lesson that I learned the hard way, and I won't repeat it for my team. Absolutely. I was going to say, I think that's a great, you know, that is probably the best life lesson. 
um, I think that we can share with anyone as they go into their career. And I love your enthusiasm for really what the next generation is going to bring to this industry, uh, both from the membership perspective and within uh, within our members. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I think that's all the questions I have. Are there any other thoughts you'd want to share with our listeners? No. Is there? Uh, you, you, I'll tell you what I do, Melissa. <laughs> just for a couple of minutes. Absolutely. I want to talk. I want to take a moment to talk about how we as leaders at any level need to really expound upon what we do with allowing access to college students to our organizations. Um, you know, we're losing out to the hotel business, and it is because we can go on Marriott.com and figure out what professional development programs are. I can walk into a Ritz-Carlton hotel and see, touch, and feel what the experience is like. But so many of us have gated communities or, um, you know, are behind walls of and firewalls on websites with logins and passwords. We have to go the extra mile to be able to invite colleges to have programs at our club, uh, reach out to every university, whether they have a hospitality or not, um, to afford them visits and the opportunity to see what the hospitality world and the merits are of that. And even if you don't have opportunities in management, we hire multiple college graduates every year. We don't have jobs per se, but I have no problem with saying, you know, I don't have a management position, you know, work waiting tables right now, and we'll expose you to managerial activities. And you know what? If you're a star, then we're going to elevate you quickly. Uh, But we'll teach and train the entire time, and you can learn here. Because I think too many people are losing uh, and leaving this business, and we've got to protect that. And more people have to hire college graduates, even if they don't have a position, and spend the time and care with them versus the title. I love that. So that's that's my... Yeah, <laughs> that's my plug for that one, Melissa. I think that's fantastic because I think, um, you know, without fostering the next generation of leaders out of schools, um, we're not going to have the next generation of mid managers, and then ultimately we're not going to have the next generation of general managers. And then where do we well, stand? You know, and. Kyle and Melissa, you, you, you know better than I, but I vividly recall the, the decades of World Conference. I love going to World Conference. I'm energized by the students and the student sessions, and I'm so awed by these professional kids that, that dress in a suit and tie on their spring break <laughs> time and are at classes at 7 o'clock in the morning, something I wasn't doing in college for certain. And what, I, what, what pains me is to see that there are probably about 60 clubs that have a really terrific structured internship program, and there are 450 kids looking for work. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, what we're doing is hiring a cadre of, of kids to go into pool snack bars and have no access to the clubhouse manager or the general manager, and we've got to move away from that. We've got to get to that 10-week, um, you know, 
full immersion program where we give them a couple of days in wine program, expose them to our tennis program, put them out on the golf course for a couple of days, have them work with the agronomy crew, take them on trips around the city, have fun brewery tours, because we need to inspire them about the merits of the club business and have them want to be in our industry. It helps everyone when we do that. And I would tell you the biggest need in our current structure from club management is that 25 to 40-year-old manager who could have an incredible six-figure salary and an incredible lifestyle, and there's a void in in that era uh, because we haven't done enough to retain those brilliant young women and men in our business. Preach. <laughs> Hope you don't mind, Kyle. No, not at all. Don't mind, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think you'll find any any two people more in agreement with you in terms of making sure that we're cultivating and keeping these folks in this industry. 100%. Right. 100%. Right. Announcements, announcements, announcements. It is time to renew your CMA national membership Woo-hoo. for 2020. <laughs> So we've got a lot of great things going on. We've expanded our member communities and resources, and even more is planned for 2020. The 2020 National Renewal Notices have hit the mail, so check your mailbox if if you're paying by a check. But if you want to go ahead and renew online, you can go ahead and get started right now at cma.org. Just log in, use our online renewal service. You just need your email and your password, and you'll be all set. You'll get an automatic receipt. It's so simple. Just don't forget that all of the current memberships expire by October 31, 2019. So don't delay. Take care of it today. It's, a, it's the middle of August, so you have some time. But don't yeah. procrastinate because the end of October will be here before you know it. Right. Students, this means you too. Renew. Renew. <laughs> we want to keep you. Um, moving on to our next announcement. Uh, CMAA is pleased to offer significant and groundbreaking career resources through the Club Careers website. This site has a wealth of career resources for members, non-members, search firms, and clubs who are looking for professional management personnel. Um, The foundation of Club Careers continues to be the four job posting areas, the management openings list, or the MOL, as it's more commonly known, the Mid-Management Career Opportunities Listing, or the MMCO, and our newest job board, the Entry-Level Job Opportunities, as well as our Internship Listing. Since Club Careers was uh, created in 2003, the site has posted thousands of jobs, and there's a ton that are up right now for you to look at. uh, In recent years, the site has evolved to also highlight some of the newer member resources available, including coaching and resume and LinkedIn services. You can find all of this information um, online at cmaa.org slash careers, and go ahead and get started today. Just a reminder that our nominations are due for the 2019 Club Executive of the Year by the end of August, Friday, August 30th. That's soon. Yeah, each year, Club Management Magazine recognizes excellences in club leadership with this award. This prestigious honor is presented to the club executive who most embodies the values, vision, and professionalism of CMAA. We highly encourage you to nominate a fellow member. You can access everything at cmaa.org backslash C-E-O-Y. We do ask that you submit the nominations by the end of the month. 
Woo-hoo. Awesome. And that person will have the joy of being a guest on the podcast. You get to December. hang out with us. How fun. And we get to learn a lot from them. So yes. we look forward to it. We enjoy sitting down with the club executive of the year because as Melissa said, it's a learning opportunity, not only for our listeners, but for us as well. Um, typically that individual has a lot to share and their management experience is super valuable. So we look forward to finding out who our next um, inductee into that prestigious list is. Okay, today's episode is brought to you by the Club Resource Center. Everyone is subscribing, and so should you. More than 300 of your club management colleagues are Club Resource Center club subscribers. A library of club resources, all new updated staff training courses, and CMAA annual surveys are just a few of the amazing benefits they have access to through CRC. If you are interested in getting all of these resources and more, visit the Club Resource Center online at www.clubresourcecenter.org today. And now we're joined by Wes Harden and Michael Seabrook of Bellmead Country Club to discuss their Idea Fair entry, New Member Orientation Tours. Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about where the idea came from to do these new member orientation tours with the GM? So this has been a tradition at Bellmead where the general manager takes a tour with the new members, uh, sometimes with children, uh, hopefully not with three-year-olds, but <laughs> it's a long time that. But um, you essentially give a tour and you talk about the history of the club, you talk about the culture, you introduce them to uh, department heads and staff along the way, you introduce them to uh, other other members if, if you see them, but you get, it gives them a chance to really get uh, an idea of all the facilities at the club and then also what is offered. That's awesome. I really, and I guess my first follow-up to that is are these tours are done sort of like individually, right? Like if it's a family, it's just the family and you that are going around. It's not like a group tour. It's like a very personal individual tour of the club, right? So we have done, we have done that both ways, Kyle. Okay. Uh, sometimes, sometimes for the most part, yes, it is just the, it's just a couple and, and maybe if they're older children, the older children, also attend. There are times where we also bring, we try to put two new members, mm-hmm. two new couples together, and we have found that that is great because at the end of the tour, they've got to know each other. They say, hey, let's have dinner. Hey, I can't wait till my kids meet your kids. And it's just, uh, it's been uh, it's been positive both ways. I can imagine that's a really easy way to get to know somebody at the club if you're brand new. So... That's very cool. Um, can you talk a little bit about how this was sort of implemented and then became a reality at the club? Was this something that started with you, Mr. Seabrook, or was it in place beforehand? No, it was beforehand. Um, uh, the general manager, and I'm not sure how far back it went, but he, he did these tours, and I'm not sure how long it was then. I know it takes about an hour and 40 minutes, big club them to see every want them to see as much as they can and ask any questions and um, and learn about the all the programming and amenities that we have here at the club definitely I'm um, reading over the the entry that was submitted to the idea fair one of the things that stuck out to me with this was the idea of these tours being scripted but unscripted can you talk a little bit about what that means 
Yeah, I can chime in. I think um, one of the things that I think is unique about Bellevue and the way these tours are handled, and I think a lot of clubs um, have, you know, they do something similar, but at Bellevue, it's, it's, uh, it's scripted in that there is a ton of information that the members will get firsthand from the general manager as opposed to, you know, simply seeing that in their in their, uh, in their their handbook and their uh, and the, the documents that you hand out, the bylaws and so forth. They they get all those rules and, and you hope that they read them and, and understand them, but you get an opportunity firsthand during the tour as you walking around in each of these different areas to say, well, you know, this is the hours of operation, for instance, in this dining room and this is spy. And I think it's a powerful way to actually get the information to them and ensure that they they've heard it, but also give them opportunity uh, to ask questions right away and to kind of uh, get a better understanding of why, not just that the rules and regulations and powers of operation are in place, but why they're in place as well. Certainly. I can see how having that personal connection would make it a little bit easier to then internalize the rules as you move forward in your membership at the club. Okay. So, this seems to be like a really positive experience. I would imagine that the member feedback has been pretty positive when it comes to this orientation process overall. Is that correct? Well, I just, you know, it's funny you say that. I just got a letter today from uh, a member that I gave a tour to last week, mm-hmm. and it was saying how much they appreciated everything and, and uh, how they feel better equipped to start uh, enjoying the club. And I think, I think another big benefit of doing this, it's from my standpoint, is that it enables me to start a relationship with them. So mm-hmm. I spend an hour and 40 minutes with them, and, you know, I get to know, you know, their family a little bit. They usually talk about you know, kind of my background a little bit. And we just get to know each other, and I've found that that, that helps, um, you know, with my relationship with them. Absolutely. And I can imagine, too, that it helps the the members sort of develop a relationship, not only with you, but then um, as they get to meet the different department heads around the club to, you know, put a face to a name and know then moving forward, you know, this is who I need to talk to if I have a question about X, you know, which I think is probably removes at least one barrier to um, entry and ultimately enjoyment at the club when when you know a name and a face and you feel familiar enough with a person to go up and you know say something or say thank you um, that probably makes that transition a little bit easier for someone who's new one one hundred percent Kyle and I, again it's all about establishing relationships absolutely part of part of the, 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 the scripted nature of it is these are you know scheduled ahead of time. Um, the schedule is distributed to all the department heads of the club. Um, everybody knows when there's a, a tour scheduled, and 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 we, you know, as department heads, we're all kind of geared up and ready for that tour to hit the area that it might hit, just based on the timing and some consistency there. So we know exactly when to expect to see the member in our area, and we're there to greet them. We also get to make a connection with the membership at that time and get to know them. You know, one of their first trips to the club and. Um, ask them a few questions. We also have our, our little spiel we give in mm-hmm. terms of what we do in our areas and how we might be able to impact their service going forward. So you're all on your best behavior is what you're saying. Absolutely. <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, that's fantastic. We think nice and tidy, and, and we have a couple little special things we do for them on their way through just to kind of give them a, a great lasting 
first experience. Exactly. Make a good first impression. (laughs) So have there been any challenges, I guess? I mean, in implementing this, I would imagine that, you know, coordinating everyone's schedule and making sure that, okay, well, we know there's a tour coming through today. We need to, one, be on our best behavior and make sure that everybody's where they need to be at the time they need to be there. But I mean, I can imagine that can be a little challenging when you try to coordinate the schedules of everyone involved at the club. Very much so. And I can tell you, Rachel, who I work with, she spends a lot of time trying to get, trying to get it organized. Uh, another thing that, that happens, we have a, we have uh, quite a few legacy members mm-hmm. who grew up at the club, who who say generally, well, I kind of grew up at the club, you know, I'm, I'm I'm good, I don't really need this tour. The last one who we finally convinced them to do it says, oh my gosh, I learned so much, I never, <laughs> I had no idea. Right, I had no idea. <laughs> so it's just it's just helpful. Yeah, for sure. It, it's, it's just helping them assimilate to the club, which which is what everybody does. Right, definitely. Because you're also able to talk about history and culture and, and kind of, you know, details about the staff and where they come from. So it, it's more that it kind of helps develop a familial bond with them, not just going over the rules and regulations. For sure. I mean, it puts a human face on the club. It's like you said, it's not just a rule book. It's a bunch of people that are working together to make sure that, you know, your time there as a member is enjoyable. So you want to make sure you you recognize them as human beings. You're here. (laughs) And have there been any unexpected outcomes or maybe any unintended consequences of doing something like this? Good question. Um, (laughs) I can tell you, well, I mentioned that uh, we, we sometimes put two new members together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, instead of it being an hour and 40 minutes, it's closer to two because they end up chatting. <laughs> <laughs> which I, yeah, which I then I would imagine then throws off people's schedules and goes back to the challenges that we were talking about before. <laughs> there's, there, there's no doubt. I mean, I always ask at the beginning, okay, it's going to take about an hour and 30, hour and 40 minutes. Are you all good with the timing? <laughs> and sometimes they say, oh, need to call the babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, schedules are but, something that we always have to contend with for sure. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that wraps up my questions. Do you guys have anything else you'd like to add that we didn't talk about? No, it's, it, it, to, to me, it just it's it's all about... It's all about relationship building is number one. I think that's one of the benefits mm-hmm. um, for me and for West and for all the department heads. That's, that's the number one thing. And then just ensuring, uh, we always say there, you know, the club has very few rules, and I'll talk about those along the tour. I don't say them all at once, but just <laughs> the one here, and then said, oh, here's, here's another one of those rules. And so they, they I can understand. I can tell you as well, Kyle Michael says the same joke every I day. bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the, the funny, so unscripted part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're very funny, especially for people who are hearing them for the first time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because again. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, I just want to thank you both so much for your time. 
right. So that wraps us up for this month. Thanks for listening. Make sure if you want to hear more episodes, you are subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us just by searching Let's Talk Club Management. It's pretty easy to find. We also post each new episode on the website um, on CMA's Back of the House blog. And that links us to our SoundCloud site, which you can follow us there as well if you are interested. And if you don't want to miss anything that's going on with CMAA, make sure you follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Club Management 1927 or Twitter um, at CMAA, right? Is that what it yep, is? Yeah, that's it. See, we have so many handles. They're so fancy. But make sure you're following us on all of those platforms so you don't miss a single thing from us. And Melissa, do you have anything else? Just that we'd love to hear your feedback and ideas for future episodes. So please feel free to reach out to us for to suggest a topic or a guest. Absolutely. Until September, we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye.